Hi everyone, welcome back to Rights and Relationships, I'm Hannah. Um, today is going to be a kind of general sex ed episode. Just kind of clearing up some myths and going over stuff that wasn't really covered in like a public school sex education. If you did talk about some of this stuff with like your parents, um, kudos. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, but I know sex is an uncomfortable topic to talk about, especially between parents and kids. But as I said with my consent episode as well, starting early with these discussions is really, really important. And actually, I am really excited for this episode because I just started my practicum for school, um, which is like an internship your senior year of uh, social work. So that's really exciting. I'm partnered with Let's Talk, which is a local nonprofit that provides inclusive and comprehensive sex ed to high schoolers in town and a few surrounding towns. We also have a phone number that people can text and ask questions about sex and relationships um, and, you know, their bodies and all sorts of stuff. Um, so it's really, really cool. I'm just starting to get into it, but it's clearly right up my alley. So, <laughs> And my field instructor actually gave me this really great book. I mean, she gave me like a stack of books, but this one in particular, I really, really enjoyed. It's called For Goodness Sex. It's by Al Vernaccio. For almost like the first semester of his class, he doesn't even like talk about sex. In his classroom, they tend to build up to that conversation by talking about other relationships, like friendships and, um, and your relationship with your parents and what constitutes a healthy relationship and also things like examining your values because people may not see it that way, but are... Our values are actually very deeply tied to our feelings about sex and our sexual behaviors. So I think that's really cool. I definitely recommend it. It's called For Goodness Sex. Um, and so I kind of just want to start in a similar way. Um, just to get you thinking about your own personal values around sex. Um, and like body image and relationships. So kind of be thinking about those things while you listen or you can like pause and jot down like what you think your values are just in general, you know, and then like how they might relate to your sexuality. So to help you consider those things, your values and, um, ideas about sex and sexuality. I'll also pose the question of what do you think sex is? Like, how do you define sex? Definitely be thinking about that as well because your definition of sex is reflective of your values. 
Um, and like I said, those things are actually quite deeply tied. And, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. And I think that's one of the points that the author of this book and this teacher was trying to make is that there's no right or wrong answer. There's no one answer because just like our values, our sexuality is very personal to us. And that's another thing we kind of talk about in my practicum too. When we go into schools, we'll kind of ask the same question and then give some examples. Um, things like oral sex or masturbation or foreplay. And then we pose, well, do those things count as sex? Like, what what is sex? And it's an interesting debate because then people, like, catch themselves when they're like, well what about like lesbians and gay people and are they not having real sex like what does that look like i've talked about before how traditional sex ed or abstinence only sex education really only focus on like cisgender heterosexual sex you know like, at this point, I feel like they might as well just be giving you the same talk your parents do. Like, okay, when a mommy and daddy love each other very much, like, all right, it's time to, it's time to move on from that. Like, we've, we've progressed decently throughout the years, certainly since I've been in a sex ed class. Um, but we do still have a long way to go. But yeah, spoiler alert, you know, there's a lot more to sex than just penis and vagina. Another big thing that was never really covered um, and is still struggling to be covered today is pleasure. Um, you know, a lot of sex ed just revolves around this is for reproductive purposes. <laughs> And, you know, I think I said it in one of my episodes before, but people have sex for pleasure a lot more than they have it to have a kid. So that's, I mean, that's definitely a part of the conversation that needs to happen. And in the book that I mentioned, he does talk about this, especially, especially pertaining to parents Yes, having these conversations can be uncomfortable, but the more comfortable you get with it, the more comfortable your kids will be coming to you and asking you questions. I think you can talk about pleasure by also talking about healthy relationships, because in my opinion, I think that's a big part of enjoying sexual activities, is having a healthy relationship, opening up that communication about sex specifically, and kind of keep basing it in values. Um, and of course, it's important for parents to know that their kids' values aren't always going to match up with their own as much as they would like them to. Um, but yeah, keep it based around values and healthy relationships 
and, you know, what they value in a healthy relationship, what that looks like to them, and how they can set boundaries and learn to say no or learn to say yes and also talk about STIs with their partner or contraception because those are conversations you need to have with a sexual partner. Um, and that's one of the things that this teacher discusses in the book is students will always ask, you know, how do I know when I'm ready to have sex? You know, that's the one thing a lot of teenagers want to know is like, there's got to be this one moment where you know you're ready. And, and the truth is there's really not, but the important thing is to remember if you can't talk to a sexual partner about your needs and wants and also things like STIs, contraception, uh, what you would do if an unexpected pregnancy happened, then you're probably not ready to have sex. And that's not to say, like, you can't be nervous about those conversations. You know, you don't have to walk in, like, super confident, like, all right, let's have a chat about STIs. Here's what I know. But it takes a lot of vulnerability. Um, and I talked about that in my last episode about consent as well. Um, and talking about all these things is a really big part of consent. Another thing we talk about at my practicum is the use of lube, which was, again, never ever brought up in one of my sex ed health classes. <laughs> and I think it has to do with this idea that, like, bodies are self-lubricating and therefore you should be good to go if you're aroused. Um, and if you're not, then, like, there's something wrong with you, but that's absolutely not true, and lube is really, really important, actually. Um, there are lubricated condoms, there are water-based lubricants, which are usually the, the most common, I think. Just make sure to see if you have, like, any allergies, or if there's, like, perfumes in the lube. Sometimes that can potentially cause an infection, so it's good just to use, like, a pretty basic water-based lubricant. I think it can be especially important with somebody's first time, too, um, because that can be a really nerve-wracking time. Like, your, your body's not all together. <laughs> um, there's a lot of stuff happening at that moment, so lube can kind of help that be a little more comfortable, kind of help you relax a little bit so you're not, like, worried about that part of it. But speaking of first times, um, Teen Vogue actually had a little article about what people wish they would have known before their first time. Um, and so I picked out a few, um, that I wanted to share because, again, these are kind of common misconceptions and, you know, I want to challenge those and I want you to challenge those. 
a lot of people with vaginas are scared of bleeding the first time, um, and that doesn't always happen. Um, like I said, lube can be a really, really big help with that, um, but even if you don't use lube, um, it's possible, like, you know, your hymen wasn't impacted or it's been previously impacted by a, a tampon, but, you know, like, movies and books and, and even, unfortunately, like, some sex educators can kind of over-exaggerate how much bleeding would or should occur, um, and again, like, you really shouldn't, um, again, that's why I recommend lube. Definitely don't, I would say, honestly, don't worry about that, because it's really not as common as you think it is, and that's another thing to stress about while you're, like, also trying to have sex for the first time, and, like, you want to enjoy yourself, but there's so many things you're worrying about, like, I don't think that should be one of them, and if it happens, it happens, you know, and it's fine, that's the way our bodies work, um, it's really never more than a few drops, kind of going off of that, talking about different stresses and anxieties surrounding first times, um, your partner is freaking out too, like, I guarantee it. <laughs> This is why it's really important to take time outside of the sexual situation and, like, sit down and talk about it. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter what you talk about so long as, you know, you're kind of covering the basics of protection, kind of initiating that very open and vulnerable communication. Um, so, t so talk, talk about your worries and your fears and get it all out there before you actually come to the sexual situation and hopefully it will be a lot more relaxing and enjoyable for both people. However, sometimes it's not enjoyable for both people or one partner, not because like they're not into it, but just because it's the first time or even the second time, it's just kind of a weird feeling to get used to. <laughs> it's not gonna be fireworks every time you have sex, certainly not the first time. Um, maybe it is, maybe you're one of the lucky ones, but <laughs> chances are your first sexual encounter was or will be pretty awkward and honestly rather uneventful, but it can take a while for it to feel good, um, and it shouldn't feel uncomfortable, um, if you're feeling pressured, then that's not a feeling that I want you to just push through, you know, like, I don't want you to be pressured into sex, like, obviously you know your body and your mind and your partner best, but especially with people for vaginas, it can take some time to get used to, um, and again, lube it up. It's great. It'll help a lot. <laughs> There's also this idea that, like, 
you should wait for someone you love or you should wait till you get married and like if that aligns with your personal values then by all means you do you but there were a handful of people in this teen vogue article that were kind of surprised that it wasn't like a magical life-changing experience like they thought it would be and depending on the situation chances are you probably won't be a different person after you have sex but again that all relates to your views and feelings and values surrounding sexuality but yeah you're I don't think you're gonna like suddenly feel like an adult once you have sex it's kind of like after I got married people were like oh how's married life and I'm like it's literally the same like <laughs> nothing about our relationship has really changed we just now have like this documentation <laughs> and you know depending on what virginity means to you and sex and potentially marriage what that all means to you you may or may not feel any different but it's important to examine those things before you get into a sexual situation and maybe that's just me. I like asking why, you know, why do I feel like I want to wait for someone I love? Or why do I feel like I want to wait for marriage to have sex? Um, and, you know, you answer those for yourself. Um, and it's fine to take guidance, obviously, from trusted friends and family or spirituality. But ultimately, your sexuality and sexual behaviors are up to you and of course a consenting partner <laughs> um but you know there are some people who view sexuality as shameful or something that should be very very private or maybe something that is for reproduction only but there's there's a lot of ideas about how people should behave sexually. And honestly, like, it doesn't matter. Like, don't sexually assault people. But I think other than that, you know, sex doesn't have to include love and love doesn't have to include sex. Um, you know, and that's... A weird thing for people to comprehend um, and simply because it makes them uncomfortable. Both of those certainly but I feel like hooking up and casual sex has like a really negative connotation um, for certain people and again that's if it's not your cup of tea that's fine but you know you gotta let others live their lives too. But in order to live our lives and be sexually satisfied, I guess. <laughs> um, we definitely need to clear up some misinformation. We need to fill in a few holes that were left out, no pun intended. <laughs> um, but things like, you should go pee after sex. Um, really basic again, never talked about in a public education health class. Um, but yes, please go pee after sex. 
Um, it's kind of like using lube, you know? It's feels like it should be common sense and, like, really acceptable, but, like, nobody talks about it. <laughs> um, go pee after sex. It protects you from UTIs. Um, it doesn't matter what genitalia you have. You should go pee after sex. Another thing is that, like, masturbation is healthy and acceptable. And I think I talked about that in my consent episode quite a bit. Um, because it helps you be familiar with your body. It helps you figure out what you like and dislike. Um, and, you know, you can, like, do it with a partner without risking STIs. So, that's pretty cool. But also, I think, around that topic of masturbation is the idea that if you do masturbate, whether it's frequently or not, then you're somehow, like, not attracted to your partner, um, or you have, like, a ridiculous sexual libido, um, <laughs> and that's not really the case. Sometimes you're bored, um, <laughs> sometimes, um... If you have menstrual cramps or a headache, masturbation can help. If you're stressed, try masturbating. Um, <laughs> but it definitely doesn't mean that you're not sexually satisfied, and it definitely doesn't mean that you're not attracted to your partner, or that they're not sexually satisfying you. Um, and if that's a concern for you, or if your partner has brought it up as a concern, it's definitely a conversation worth having. Um, I think especially if there's pornography involved, I don't really care how you feel about porn. Um, because I think the whole world should know by now that it's not real. Those are actors. However, some people do feel like watching their partner watching porn is cheating on them or cheating in the relationship. I have my personal opinions about that, but if that's the case for someone, then again, it's a conversation that you need to have with your partner and it's and you need to set those boundaries, you know, um what's acceptable and what's not um what constitutes cheating and what doesn't, you know, for some people, flirting is cheating, um, but again, it all goes back to your personal values, and of course, the values of your partner, and of course, they don't have to align 100%, but, but in a very vulnerable and intimate setting, like sex, or a romantic relationship, you have to be willing to talk openly about these things. So, yes, there are definitely things you can compromise on, certain sexual activities, definitely. That I think that's why it's so important to figure out your own personal values around this and then find someone who's very similar to you. Because sexual relationships are very intimate and vulnerable. And if there's something that doesn't align, then that could potentially cause harm. Another thing that I was never told about until I was like 21 years old was that antibiotics affect your birth control. 
Um, if you're on hormonal birth control, especially the pill, um, if you're on antibiotics for any reason, you should use a backup birth control method um, just to be safe. I don't know if they actually like cancel each other out, but antibiotics do make birth control less effective. So just be sure to be mindful of that. And of course, things like LGBTQ, sexuality, and sexuality and disabilities were never talked about. And I mentioned earlier, like, obviously there's a lot more to sex than just penetration. Again, it's important to consider what you consider sex. However, there are definitely precautions you should take in any sort of sexual activity, if that makes sense. So even if you don't consider oral sex or foreplay um, actual sex, um, you still should protect yourself from STIs um, because you're coming in contact with different bodily fluids. And maybe because you don't consider that sex, then you don't participate in those things, and that's fine. But definitely use protection um, in any sort of sexual scenario. As far as disabilities and sex, um, I feel like that should probably end up being its own episode um, because it's something I want to research more because it's definitely the one area where I haven't gone quite as deep with it as I have like my other episodes and topics, but generally, disabled people have sex, um, and that means they also have varied gender identities and sexual orientations. They do have a very, very high risk of sexual assault, um, a lot of it due to power dynamics. There's a lot of instances of, like, caregivers sexually assaulting the person the disabled person they're caring for, and certainly, like, verbal communication can sometimes be a barrier um, when discussing consent and sexuality, but it's still important to help disabled people understand that they have a right to feel safe, um, they have a right to be sexual, and they have a right to set boundaries. Another topic that wasn't covered in typical sex ed classrooms is miscarriages. I have a hard time figuring out why people don't discuss this with teenagers. Because even adult women still don't talk about their miscarriages. You know, it's very, very private. Um, it has, like, a layer of shame around it. And most mi most miscarriages are not the pregnant person's fault. Um, so there's nothing wrong with your body. Most of the time, miscarriages happen due to fetal abnormalities. Um... So, you know, it's just 
it can implant and start growing and there's clearly something genetically wrong with it so your body just disposes of it it's not something shameful you know around 20% of pregnancies end in miscarriage um, it's probably slightly more just due to miscarriages that can occur like very early in pregnancy before someone even knows they're pregnant and again a lot of those oftentimes go unnoticed um, some people it happens very early on in pregnancy and and maybe they weren't ready to be pregnant and it's a relief or maybe they're sad about it um but the the point is that it's okay to have a lot of feelings around a miscarriage um just like it's okay to have different feelings surrounding an abortion but they're not something to be ashamed of and i think slowly we're starting to talk about it more we're starting to talk about a lot of aspects about sexuality a little bit more um a little bit more openly but I think miscarriages especially are important to talk about because it can feel like such an isolating experience. And it's not. Certainly everyone's situation is different. Everyone's feelings around it are different. Regardless of what your feelings are, you're not alone in those feelings. So hopefully we can continue to talk about that and... All the other things I mentioned, LGBTQ and disabled people and sex, um, so we're getting there. Um, I love programs like Let's Talk because, like, I did not have that as a kid. My health class was a joke, like, I didn't, I took sex ed in freshman health and, you know, it was very bland and basic and boring and all stuff I already knew. <laughs> um, I mean, I was lucky enough to have parents who talked to me about sex and sexuality and, and I know some people don't have that. So, so even if it's not the best information, it is still some information. Um, I mean, at least they're still talking about condoms and STIs, so, you know, that's good for the most part. Um, but I love our text line. It's really amazing. And, like, I keep saying, like, I would have loved something like this as a teenager. Just a place where I can ask questions and... The internet has some really good resources now, um, but finding reliable resources can be hard when you're a kid. You don't know what to look for, um, and there's a lot of things you can just take at face value. Um, a lot of what your parents tell you, you can take at face value, or you might still have questions, but... <laughs> They made you feel so uncomfortable that you're never going to ask them a question about sex again. And that really sucks, and I, I hope those people find someone that they can talk to about sex. Um, 
because like I said, these conversations are important. Um, so I'm really grateful for that resource and I hope it has helped a lot of people. And hopefully this episode cleared up some misconceptions or taught you something new. If you do have more questions about anything I've talked about or sexuality in general or something you would like me to talk about, um, I do have an email address. It is rrprochoicepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, email me with any questions, comments, concerns. But that's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on Rights and Relationships.